In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back again to the True Life Podcast. I hope everybody's having a beautiful day out here. I got an incredible individual who's doing some incredible work, and uh, he's coming all the way from the Sacred Valley of Peru. It's the one and only Luke Jensen, neurofeedback practitioner, psychedelic researcher, self-proclaimed armchair anthropologist, and like I said, he's coming all the way from the Sacred Valley. Luke, how are you today? Doing well. How are you? I... I'm a little under the weather, but I'm so happy to be here, man. It's kind of a weird feeling, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah I hear you. Yeah. Um, for those who may not know who you are, Luke, would you be so kind as to maybe give a background and then maybe talk about your journey, like how you got to be in the Sacred Valley of Peru? Yeah, so I'm in a, I joined the Marine Corps out of high school. That's how the story starts. And it was... Uh, quite an adventure, I would say boot camp, its own type of uh, shamanic experience, maybe, you know, you, you totally change from this high school kid to, uh, you know, going into boot camp and whole other world and make warriors out of you. And I was in the Marine Corps Reserve for six years, and then I never got deployed. And there's this National Guard Inf Airborne Infantry Unit that was deployed to Afghanistan in 2011. So um, I volunteered to deploy with them. I switched branches and deployed airborne infantry to Afghanistan in 2011. And um, like probably most deployments, there's a lot to it. Um, there was lots of really cool parts I enjoyed. I really enjoyed um, being in the country. I was outside the wire every day. I was training Afghan army, Afghan police. It was a really unique experience. And at the same time, other things with other things, you know, are kind of challenging. And some after I got back, um, those other parts that were more challenging made me rethink my career and what I wanted to do. And so after that, um, so a lot happened in the deployment. For one, when I got back, I'm like, okay, Luke, you know, this is gonna be your career, this is gonna be your life, and we can go back into what what, what all happened there. But it came, to, I didn't know what to do. I, I lost my direction. And I was always a person that was always motivated, very goal-oriented. I felt lost. Where, where, where am I, what do I do after this? Uh, especially coming from like the infantry, it's a certain kind of lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And then going back into say, uh, you know, business or something like that was not, was not something that I was really thinking of. Um, but I think it was about 10 years ago now, I heard a Joe Rogan podcast. And it was a really good podcast. It was with Amber Lyons, she's a war reporter. And she was recording these war zones and she won the podcast and she's talk, talking about it was during the Arab Springs, you know, all that stuff happening in like 2011, I think. And um, Joe Rogan says, Hey, why don't you go down to uh, Peru and try ayahuasca? And she flew down to Peru, did ayahuasca, came back to another podcast. And I watched it and she's talking about how oh, she had all this trauma from these war zones that was released through ayahuasca. And for me, this sounded totally out there, but. The state I was in, like, I'll try anything. I'll do that. Okay. 
like and you know i was in the marines so most i really did was drink beer um so <laughs> this is a whole new adventure for me <laughs> um so yeah one thing led to another i had a trip to Iquitos, peru did ayahuasca in the jungle it was a really beautiful the new year new year's eve retreat i think the first one they did and um it was really amazing to put it mildly uh, it was a life-changing experience it shattered my whole reality of what i thought it was and when that happened I had to re um, reevaluate my whole view of what I thought the nature of the universe was or is. And okay, Luke, so what, what do we do now? So this whole view of reality started shifting for me. I came back to the state to start working. I kind of came back, back and forth to Peru. Eventually, like, hey, I want to live a life down here. I want to be down here. I want to live, you know, this kind of adventurous lifestyle. Um, I think it also kind of dovetails well with kind of being a veteran where I'm not living, you know, the normal nine to five job or in a su suburb. I'm kind of on the edge out here in the mountains. I have a motorcycle now and I'm kind of living this kind of life that's, you know, out of the usual, which, um, but coming back to where I was, I came back to the States and as, as powerful as the experience was with ayahuasca, I noticed when I come back, that sort of fade after a while, like three months, six months, and I have to keep coming back and forth. I was always researching other kind of modalities, and I started doing yoga, which all these things are great, yoga and um, different kinds of martial arts, like Tai Chi, And but then I discovered neurofeedback and brain training, and right away it spoke to me, um, probably because um, I had PTSD, but I couldn't admit to it, and being a veteran and you know, probably a lot of men like me, we're not gonna go see a psychiatrist. <laughs> so, but this idea, oh, we just train our brain waves. Like, okay, that sounds easy, I'll go do that. And it turns out that every brain wave has a signature and I trained my brain to become more efficient. And then I started researching more in this field and there's many, many spiritual applications to brain wave and brain wave training because every state, it's a brain wave state. And um, the whole thing came together I started going to the conferences. I met my mentor who he's a Zen Buddhist master in Zen and he's a shaman. He's also a, a neuroscientist. So he kind of combined all these things together. And I, I know if anyone was go for it at the time, like, Hey, I want to do brainwave training, QBG brain mapping, and I want to study ayahuasca. He goes, Hey, I've been waiting to meet someone like you. I'll train you. So, okay. And it turned out that he was a, just the right person to meet. And um, I've been training for five years in the field. I flew down two years ago, and I've been here since, living down here. And we've been combining both research elements of neurofeedback training, or QEG brain mapping, and we've been doing um, kind of spiritual brainwave training too. And so that's kind of the short of the long story, I guess. Man, it's a beautiful story. And it, it harkens back to this idea that if you're willing to have the courage to become the best version of yourself, your life kind of unfolds for you. They say that when you're ready, the teacher kind of shows up, but it does take courage to do that. You know, I, I admire your ability to, to say, hey, look, I, I, I want to change. I want this thing to happen for me and then taking the chance to do it and then getting to see your life unfold. But when I hear the word brain mapping, like that seems like such a broad brush, like, what does it mean? Like, what does brain mapping mean? Maybe you could break down what that machine is, how it works. And then from there, you could talk about how you use it in conjunction with ayahuasca. Yeah. So um, there's different kinds of brain maps. You okay. know, most people have heard of MRIs and PET scans. Uh, what we do is called a QEEG. So an EEG is when you see the brain waves go across the screen. Like the, um, you've probably seen them in hospitals or maybe you've seen them on TV. A QEEG is we put those into a database and it compares it to hundreds of thousands or a million other maps. And when it compares them, we see um, everything that's going on in the brain. So we know what people look like with anxiety. We know what people look like with depression and head trauma. We know what peak performers look like. We know what meditators look like. So in this database, we can see what areas of the brain are dysregulated. So most people that say have anxiety will have um, fast beta waves in the posterior of their brain. And once we see those brain waves, we can train them down, basically. Mm. But the brain map is kind of the roadmap. Um, okay. It's really an amazing technology. And when the, what it is is you put a cap on, it kind of looks like a, like a swim cap. 
Okay. There's 19 electrodes on it. You put it on, it takes about 30 minutes and we read the brain waves. And um, so what we've been doing is we've been partnering with different retreats. We take a pre-map and a post-map. And this mm -hmm. is a very, very valuable tool because um, many people go through a, a say an ayahuasca retreat or watch human retreat and they know they have this powerful experience, maybe a spiritual experience, but sometimes, well, that's just psychological. That's just in the mind. Well, then I can show them afterwards, like, no, your brain physically changed. You create new networks. Mm -hmm. You can see anxiety and depression lifting. And it's very powerful. They can see it. It's, it's, it's almost like we print it out and it's a, it's a manifestation of what they felt. And right. it's a very powerful tool. And then from there, we can advise them how to integrate. Like, hey, you know, before maybe your diet's an issue, maybe your sleeping's an issue. Like we can see with a brain map, what kind of meditation would be best for somebody. So someone's anxiety, they need open, you know, open focus meditation or someone that um, maybe something else, a different type of meditation will work. So it's a very powerful tool in many different aspects that can be used. It's so, man, it blows my mind. I think it's an incredible technology. And I'm curious, like, is there a, a before, a during, and an after? And then you can you can lay those on top of each other to give even like a bigger picture of what's happening? Yeah, no, exactly. And it's interesting because I'm about to publish my first paper. On Congratulations, the man. So, yeah, yeah. No, it's really cool. It's really yeah. exciting. So a few years ago, you know, I didn't, didn't imagine me doing this. And here I am. I'll publish a paper on it. So <laughs> um, it's really neat. But it's a very, like I was saying, so like you were saying, um, you can keep adding on to it. Yeah. So you can do a pre-map, a during-map, like during the actual experience. So the and then a post-map. And then you can see him do like a, you know, one week, one month, three months afterwards. And ideally, we want more of that data because the more data you have, the better. Because how long, you know, do these experiences last for? What, how long do these changes in the brain last for? Mm -hmm. These are, these are, these data sets really haven't been explored that much. Um, they've explored somewhat questionnaires, but still somewhat limited. But now we can look at the actual brain. Okay. We can see, say, a month out wow, these changes are sticking in a way that's really amazing. Or maybe some people, they might not stick that long. So we're all in the beginning stages of that research. And what what differentiates between one brain and a different brain? Or what what brain needs what? Maybe there's different plant medicines that are better for different kinds of anxiety or depression or different types of symptoms. Yeah, it's fascinating to me. I've been talking a lot about, <clears throat> for some reason, the subject keeps coming up. And maybe it's because I'm supposed to talk about it or something. But it seems that for a long time in the Western world, this idea of linguistics as a higher order of thinking has been prevalent when in fact, mental imagery is just as important. And when I think about brain mapping and I think about someone who's been on a spiritual journey and then getting to see that image, now they are able to hold that image in their head and they can think the thoughts they had during that experience and hold it together with that mental image, it may be a way for them to get back to those states even when they're not taking a sacrament to get into the heightened state of awareness. Is that something that people can do if they begin to understand how their brain, if they look at that mental image and they look at the brain map and they think the thoughts that they were having during the experience, can they recreate that same sort of neural map? No, I think that's a really good point that, the power of mind, power of thought is so powerful. And we're right. seeing it with what we're doing. Um, over and over again, we're, we're seeing evidence of this, the power of the mind. Right. And really, so much of what we do, like say the neurofeedback side of training, you know, we just show the brain where to go. The brain learns itself. We, have a, mm. we really have this beautiful mind, this beautiful structure in the brain. And what we do is the neurofeedback side of things is kind of like putting a mirror for the first time in a person's life from their brain and going hey this is the yeah. healthy direction to go and it wants to go there it's amazing and it's when you do this when i first did it like wow my my brain's doing this i'm not doing this it's learning how to become more efficient and at the same time when we do with this training we have this deep states training that we do with people too we teach them how it's called alpha theta training it's famous in the neurofeedback field okay um this training takes them between the alpha state and the theta state so alpha Theta states the subconscious, beta states consciousness, and alpha is the bridge. So you're kind of going to these hypnotic states, and a lot of people have um, very powerful archetypal symbolism, and we talk over the, with them about it. And also what we do is we'll go over with people that say that they just did ayahuasca, and the neural connections after doing ayahuasca or any kind of plant medicine 
all those neurons are firing, new pathways are opening, neurogenesis is happening, new axons are forming. Mm -hmm. So it's this beautiful time, say like a month out, three months after, or any time after, to start like a new practice like yoga, meditation, you know, Tai Chi, something like that. Um, but we also, our specialty is neurofeedback. So we take people in these states and we take people in these states like, hey, I still feel the presence of ayahuasca. It's speaking to me. You know, I still feel her there. And like, that's exactly what we wanted. So when we started discovering this, this was kind of my goal or theory. Then it was confirmed that when we take people to these states, that they can reconnect to that original experience in a deeper way and deepen it and explore it further. That this mm -hmm. isn't just a static experience of the past, that that this your spiritual self is always evolving and to keep moving forward in your own spiritual evolution. So it's really cool. Yeah, it's amazing to me. It, on some levels, it, it makes me feel or it makes me think that we're really beginning to have an instruction manual about how to think differently, or maybe this is the next evolution of thinking. And I know that those are broad, that's a broad brush to paint with, but it seems to me that, you know, when people are in these heightened states of awareness, you begin to process things differently. And the more you, the more you become accustomed to or familiar with that environment, the more you can bring back those things from those states, you start applying them in your life. And I think that this, this technique of brain mapping is an incredible way to, to make that happen, to translate that into reality. And we, you said something earlier that I want to go back to for a moment. And it was the first time that you, you saw the brain map, like that's kind of a weird experience. It's like we use our brain to think, but this is the first time you get to see how your brain thinks. It's, it's almost like you're the observer right there. What was that feeling like? No, I, um, It's always fun because for the first time I show people this, like here's yeah. your brain, they've never seen yeah. it before. Or I'll show them the raw brainwaves going across the screen as I'm recording it. Like that's literally your life force. In a way, this is energy <laughs> medicine. It's going right. to you know, go through your brainwaves. I'm like, well, wow, you know. Um, it, it creates, and so much of what we deal with, we think is just in our heads. I remember I just did someone just recently and like, hey, you know, sometimes according to your brain map, you you might have trouble like being, you know, task oriented or focusing. And he goes, well, I thought I was just a procrastinator. It's just part of my personality. Like, well, it's in your brain map. You can train that, and that's not really you. That's just it's it's interesting to think about the difference between mind and brain and who we are. It's very philosophical. Um, so yeah, so when I first you know, had this experience, it's like, wow, okay. And for me, since I was, I did have PTSD, then it, oh, there's the pattern. And mm -hmm. it made it much less personal. Like, Luke, there's nothing right. wrong with you. This is a simple brainwave pattern that you can train and make better. Like, this isn't um, a deficiency. This is a pattern that you have that, you know, and here are the tools to make it better and make it go away. And that's what I did. You know, I, I've been pulling up this book a lot, but like, people I keep talking to, like, there's things that keep happening. That, and I'm going to read you. I just want to read you this little excerpt in here because it has to yeah. do with patterns. And and I'll just, I just want to hear what you have to think about it. It's about symbolic meaning and patterns. And it says, what is a pattern? Despite what they say, people do not seek help from a therapist or counselor because they have a problem. People seek help because they realize that without intervention, the repetitive nature of certain thoughts, feelings, and behaviors – Will continue over and over and that sounds a lot like brainwave patterns that sounds a lot like the the actions that we have are the patterns that we have in our brain and you said you told that gentleman like oh you may have problems with being task oriented because it's your brain pattern what do you see in the brain mapping that tells you what the pattern like how do you translate this person is task oriented problem having task oriented problems by looking at their brain map like is it a, is it like a, a circle and a square in there or is it going this way and that way or like what is it how do you tell that well there's lots of okay. uh depth to it but actually that's a simple pattern so when you look at a brain map it breaks it down you have four or five major brain waves delta theta alpha beta and you have gamma and um so his beta was low and is that's and beta is your concentration brainwave. Beta is your focus brainwave. Beta is what you use for your day-to-day -day tasks. So when I saw it was low globally, and I said, well, that pattern's associated with you know lack of focus or possibly you know lack of energy or possibly with goal-orientedness. Um, 
But it's interesting you mentioned patterns because we become patterns. We're pattern people. It's so, and, and it's so part of like what we do in brain training, brain mapping, because most people, they're stuck in a pattern. A thought's a pattern. Anxiety is a pattern. Depression's a pattern. So both brainwave training, I would say psychedelics, it takes a rigid pattern and expands it, blows it up, and makes it malleable, makes it plastic, brain plasticity. And both these things are doing it. So it makes it from rigid to open. Most most people's issues is a, it's a pattern of rigidity. So mm-hmm. we break that pattern and open them up. Um, and that's what psychedelics do. So we're both doing the same thing in different ways. And they both complement each other so well. And that's what's so interesting about it. It is interesting. It's And it, it seems like, you know, having one tool to fix them good, but having two tools or three tools to focus on the same problem is even better. And it, you know, I first heard about you through Sebastian, who was coming down there and taking some people down there. And he had mentioned that he had done some tours down there without the work that you were doing and then did them with the work you were doing. And he had mentioned it was a whole nother dimension of healing, a whole nother dimension of understanding when you were able to use the sacrament and the brain mapping together. Is that is that something that is common for people that work with you for the first time to be like, whoa, it's a whole other dimension? No, it's been really fun because at first I wasn't sure how this would um, uh, be taken because so so many people like, and I, you know, we always respect the space and that we're sure. not, never in the ceremony with machines, but still just to be around there with technology, you know, and it's kind of like people go for this, okay. but you know, we, we do show the respect, but once we show them what we're doing, they understand, they see it like, Oh, okay. I get it. And then once we show them, so speaking of Sebastian's retreat, we, I mean, we won't publish this data, but, we um, recorded somebody in his retreat, and they had um, ADD, self-reported, in a questionnaire we had. And then we saw that pattern in their brain waves. It was like a high theta pattern, so it was like lack of focus. And after the retreat, that brainwave pattern was gone, and his self-reported questionnaire, ADD was gone as well. So, I mean, this is a powerful observation we have that I don't think anyone's really mentioned in the scientific literature. You know, And at first, you wonder, well, how does ayahuasca affects focus? We understand depression, anxiety. Um, but if you think of focus as a trauma response, and the trauma stops you from focusing, if you start healing trauma to plant medicines, then it starts making sense. So with this technology, we're able to gain new insights that maybe we were, that were passed over before. Now we're able to see new, new different patterns, new things that people haven't really seen before. And then just the basics, like, hey, are you feeling better? Because it looks like, you know, your brain's more relaxed. Like, yeah, I feel super relaxed. Okay, that's what we're seeing. And here's what we're, you know, so it adds confirmation to their experience, which is really neat. Yeah, it is. It's fascinating to me. I, you know, one thing I've noticed when I, when I take psychedelics is that it allows me to be the observer of my own actions. And I think that being the observer of your own brain waves like that, it, it almost gives you a, a second perspective. And that's what I mean, like, again, with this book, I'm sorry, but this things just keep coming up here, man. So (laughs) in symbolic modeling, there are two perceivers of a pattern. This book goes on to talk about how, you know, you in in any kind of therapy or in in um, in integration, there's always two people. There's the person who is talking about the pattern of their life. And then there's usually someone there that's helping them integrate that is also noticing the pattern. And in a way, when you show someone their brain map, the same individual gets to be both of those people. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but you get to be the observer and the individual. And when you can do that, I think you can make radical changes in your life. And that's what I think of when you talk about the gentleman who had ADD, or you look at somebody who has PTSD, or you look at somebody who has depression or anxiety. They're solving their own problem by rewiring or the neuroplasticity in their brain. But I, the tool of brain mapping, I think, is going to become something that is an incredible tool. Like, how, how can it not? It provides such a new perspective for people, right? No, I agree. I mean, everyone in the field, it's still a small field. It's grown more in the last yeah. 10 years, kind of just like psychedelics. But right. you know, everyone think, everyone believes that you know one day this thing's going to catch on and it's going to be big. You know, people are doing... It's, it's such a powerful tool in so many different, you know, aspects. Some people are almost shy even talking about it because it sounds too good to be true. Like, yeah, we can do, we can, because we can start out treating epilepsy, people with seizures, 
and it can be very powerful at that. Um, but it can also be powerful to train spiritual states, meditation. Yeah. And it can be powerful. And but just seeing your map, seeing your brain, seeing who you are, and seeing what's going on, like, hey, I have this pattern, you know, and what do I do to make it better? So a lot of people, I'd say most people here, I've just done maps on just to show them what it is. And they don't do any brain training, but they go, like, hey, here's what you can do to help your sleep. Hey, how's your diet? Because I can see through your brain map that you know maybe you have a blood sugar issue. They're like, really? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Or I can say, like, hey, you know, I can see you probably have, you know, some people say, like, can you tell that from a brain map? I'm like, yeah, I can see a lot. So it gives them a tool to understand that, you know, um, how they can improve themselves in different ways. And once again, I think meditation is one thing we always recommend. And we can see with their brain pattern, like, what meditation would be good for you? Because every meditation, you know, some meditations might be good for some people and other meditations might be good for another people. So it's really neat. What is, is there like some pushback that you get? Like, I'm sure some people are like, Hey man, you can't really do that. Or what are some of the biggest criticisms that you get? Well, I think some people just kind of don't know what it is. First of all, like brain mapping, what is that? We, you know, we're kind of just hippies here doing you know, playing medicine. <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> um, but once I explain it to people, it's really cool that I, that I get that the response and some people, you know, kind of, um, one interesting response I sometimes get is when people say, well, you know, I don't want to know. Like, I don't want to know what's going on in my brain. I just want ayahuasca to be a spiritual experience, and that's it. Like, okay. But you have to remember, though, that this doesn't take away the mystery. You know, this is just a simple mm-hmm. tool. I think this deepens the mystery. And if you look at the ancients, you know, it was like mystery with capital M, like Greeks. Like, like this is something to be sacred. And when, when we take a brain map, like we're not telling you everything about yourself. Like I don't know like every spiritual part of your soul, but this is a tool to allow you to see deeper into what's happening and make sure you make it more fun and more interesting. So that's kind of some of the stuff I get. Uh, but one thing I want to say too, because you mentioned patterns. So hmm. I was thinking about this, because this is important. I want to bring it up. Yeah. Um, so many people get caught in a pattern, a thought pattern. And really what I've discovered um, been this work and my mentors mentions to me that we we don't solve things with our conscious mind it's always our subconscious below that conscious mind and this when you take people in these deep states or maybe um a meditative state but especially these hypnagogic states or psychedelic states allows their subconscious to come through allows them to um kind of Jungian individuation that conscious mind the subconscious mind meet and it's almost like untwisting knots. Mm-hmm. So when people have these um, issues, often you can't think yourself through that. And I noticed that with me because I was trying to find direction in my life. And I just started doing the brainwave training just to heal myself, just, just to like you know, help myself with anxiety. And I started noticing, I started going to these deeper states. And like, oh, Luke, hey, you know, these ideas will come forth. You know, how do I make this work? How do I apply this? You know, how do I you know, bring this to other people? You know, what? what aspect does this have with psychedelics so i think it's important thing to keep in mind that always keep in mind you're more than your conscious mind your course conscious mind is this little part in your frontal cortex but we're this deeply deeply complex you know uh mind and soul all together what like is there a relationship between patterns and frequencies when you look at this sort of imaging or brain maps yeah so um it's interesting because everything, everything we are is your know, frequencies really in the universe. It's, yeah. So yeah, I'm just studying one side of it, the brain's frequencies, but every, you know, every atom vibrates and you know, all music. And um, so the, the powers of frequencies with you know, healing and musical healing and tones, and it's very impressive. Um, but so, yeah, that's what we do. We study the relationship between frequencies, brain frequencies and the patterns that people have. Um, and it could be simple things. It could be like, hey, you know, this frequency, you know, means you have head trauma, you know, or some kind of inflammation. Or this frequency means that you're, uh, you've been meditating for a long time. Good job, you know. So these things, all, all these patterns are linked. And mind and brain, there's no real separation. They're both, you can't, the one is linked to another and they kind of interflow with each other. And I would say the same thing with your soul. And we're still exploring that, but um, I think you know what we're gleaning from plant medicines and this research is like well, there's these powerful states that you know, we can't, I can't brain map um, 
say like the visions that you have during the experience right. that can see that something happened and that you're affected and you're changed. So I can see that. So it's very interesting like what we can see, what we can't see and where the future may go. Yeah. I'm wondering, like, you know, when I think about different cultures, I've, I lived down in um, Baja, California for a while at a surf camp and it was just, it was out in the middle of nowhere and it was just such a different world to me. It was so beautiful in so many ways. And then I'm wondering, could, is it possible? Like, what if you just hooked up, say, someone from South America versus someone who lives in New York City? Do you think there's different patterns in those people's brainwaves? Could you see that? Is there cultural differences going on in, in brainwaves at a baseline? Yeah, so this is also an interesting topic in the field. Good question. Um, so most brains, they do um, – so one, it was discussed at the beginning of brain mapping, like, well – are we going to have to have different databases for people in the United States, people in yeah. you know, China, people in your, you know, different parts of the world? It turns out like our fundamental humanity is very similar and all these brain databases work. Now, what we see, though, is when we see kind of like disorganized patterns, I think we'll see different things, different places. Um, I think we see different things, different. I've heard, so I haven't been around as long, but I've talked to people in the field. You know, each decade you might see different patterns, you know, mm. um, I think now what we see a lot is a really people have really busy minds. They can't slow down. It's constant thinking. It's constant working on their brain. And in many ways, it's kind of a trauma response. When you're always busy, you're always thinking, it, it, you're not feeling. You're not feeling that pain. You're not feeling that trauma. You're not feeling something like that. But also, I think with the overstimulation with phones and you know everything like that, that people can't really settle down. So we're seeing this pattern now. But I think we probably saw different patterns like maybe 10, 20 years ago, too. I forget what they were, but I know there was kind of different patterns that were more commonly seen. And I say, for example, in the countryside in Peru or the mountains, um, you don't have that constant stimulation. Right. And I would also wonder, um, people in the West were always either like looking at a TV or in a classroom or things like this. We're always kind of visually focused on something. But, you know, in the mountains, when I visit these little villages, they look at horizons and distances. And there's different patterns for that, how that how that affects their focus and their brain and things like that. Yeah. You know, it, and it brings up so many other interesting avenues of exploration. Like, you know, what if we could take the a handful of artists and look at their brainwaves versus a handful of mathematicians and look at their brains? Or what if we could take someone who's in love and look at their brainwaves? Are those things that are possible to see? Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, some people in the field, it's really like they'll specialize in like opera performers and they'll uh, specialize yeah. just in that. And that's like, that's all they do is they work with that training to make them the best they can. So yeah. you know, a lot of neurofeedback, they use it for um, just regulating and get rid of depression, anxiety, mm -hmm. but so much of the field is for performers. And this is yeah. more and more for CEOs. Uh, the last conference I was at, like, there was people from every sport from the NFL. Yeah. Was, and it's amazing because these people, I remember one guy, he's a NASCAR driver and he goes from the middle of the pack with brainwave trade. And after three months, he was one of the top, top guys, you know? Um, so it's really, it can really put you on top of the field. So people are looking, cause you can make any brain better, any brain more efficient. So when all those networks are connecting, um, and everything's working better. You can make anything better. So yeah, I think the future is really bright and interesting. So this brings up another avenue that I've been talking about. You know, it seems so long, and, and, and I'm, I'm hopeful that we're on the cusp of doing this, but it seems for a long time modern medicine has been focusing on, on neurodegenerative diseases. They've been focusing on sick people. Like our, our entire method of medicine is like, let's look at all these sick people. But what if we start looking at people that are performing at the highest level? And it kind of sounds like that's the avenue that we're beginning to turn towards is this, this idea of, magnifying the human experience, this idea of optimization. And when you begin to optimize, that automatically brings up the people from the bottom, at least to the middle. Do you see like maybe your, your per profession moving in that direction or medicine moving in that direction? Yeah. So I think there's so much, you know, so much into modern medicine, how it works and the structures and how it's paid and stuff like this. <laughs> um, I remember hearing in Chinese medicine that, you know, if you go to China, that you pay the doctor, when you're well, when you stop, when you get sick, you stop paying them, hmm. you know, and then until you get better and then you start paying them again. Uh, but I think that's a really good point because I don't think we look at the human experience as like, you're just, 
not feeling well or you're good or you're, you're like, and I think modern psychology, modern medicine, they just try to get people back mm. to a nine to five job and working and functional. And like, that's not necessarily a measurement of, uh, you know, health. Um, especially if you look at what's the goal of Zen, what's the goal of different kinds of spiritual methods. We want to advance everybody as far as possible. And for me, neurofeedback is like when people come in, they have anxiety or depression. The first thing I want to do is maybe regulate the brain, train the brain for three months. So those symptoms are gone. But I always encourage people, hey, there's no upper limit. We can train these deep states. We can train, you know, we can train you know, meditation. We can, and my favorite part is these deep hypnagogic states. I was talking about alpha theta because you go into the subconscious. You, you see your own soul reflect back at you. And it's so much fun. There's no end to that. You can go do that forever. And you don't want to get lost in those places, mm-hmm. but you learn from it. You want to, you want to grow from it. And then that was, you know, for young, that was the whole point of life, this individuation process. So uh, I think, yeah, uh, I think as you, you raise everyone up, it's kind of, you raise people up. Everyone kind of comes up. Like you said, I think that's really insightful. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, I'm really amazed. And I just have this feeling like we are, on the cusp of a future that's not only beautiful, more beautiful than you imagine, but more beautiful than you can imagine. Maybe it's because of the people I'm talking to, and maybe it's because I see these burgeoning technologies and the people behind them that that are doing something. And there's another pattern I've noticed that is, it seems to me, a lot of people I've been speaking to, like yourself, are at the forefront of moving things forward because they were the people that were affected by the thing that they're solving. Like you had PTSD. What role do you think this thing played in your like you had this thing and you fixed it and you got better and now you're optimizing and now it's like you want to give back what role do you think that plays in how good you are at helping other people well um for one i'm really grateful this technology exists because <laughs> uh, i mean i've had ptsd from the vietnam wars say in the 60s or 70s yeah there would have been a whole lot of alternatives and i was in a really really rough state i mean day to day was very challenging to me. And so I'm just so grateful that, that I've healed through this. Um, so sorry, what was, the, what was the rest of the question? Well, so I was just saying, you know, the, the, the fact that you found a way to solve this problem outside of the box, and now you're the practitioner of this thing. Like, do you think that having the experience that you're helping people solve is an important part of being a, a person who can solve it. I know that's kind of out there a little bit, but no, it's huge. I, okay. I, I've thought about this because um, I knew something was wrong like 10 years ago after my deployment. I didn't know what I felt like I had extreme anxiety. I didn't know what anxiety was. I, there's no definition for it. And once I figured out what it was, I'm like, I don't really have that. I'm fine. Like, but it's not until you come out of that consciousness and reflect back, like, Luke, you had some serious issues. All I knew was something was wrong. Um, and at the time though, I didn't want to go to, I mean, I was kind of on the path to natural health even back then. Um, I didn't want to go the prescription drug route. So I was searching everywhere and any, everywhere for everywhere I could for an alternative. And I tried everything out, you know, everything out. And this is the one thing that really helped me out. So when people are suffering, um, I could, I had this past experience. Like I've tried all these things. This is a powerful tool. And I think in a spiritual level, um, being the Marines in the military, I wasn't very sympathetic to other people's suffering. I wasn't mm. very sympathetic to uh, people that were down and out. I always thought like, hey, just tough through it and grit your teeth and get through it. But there's certain things that happen to you that physically your brain structures are not allowing you to you know, think alternative paths. I mean, it's, we can see when trauma happens that there's, you're, you lose these connections in your brain and frontal cortex to think of alternatives. And there's all these downstream effects to how trauma affects a person. So when you heal the brain, you heal these structures, it allows you to become more creative and be in charge of your life instead of being a victim. Um, I never, never felt like a victim, but at the same time, I could not get past where I was at. I could not find my own path. And I think for so many people, um, I think it's a common effect of trauma they lose their own path, they lose their way, they lose their direction. And um, for many years, this is my, probably my greatest 
concern, more than concern, it, it ripped me up inside. I felt like I was completely lost. And finally to be back to a path and never a path I was expecting, like I was in the room for infantry. Now I'm in this path of medicines and healing. So, but it's been really rewarding. So I'm, I'm really glad. Yeah, I am too. I, you know, I, <clears throat> I'm a huge fan of the experience is what makes you the expert. And there's been a lot of people in a lot of fields that are probably really great people, but they've never had the experience that they're trying to heal people from. And I'm not saying they can't heal them, but it does seem like there's another dimension to someone who's had the experience and then they know how to help someone else because they've been through it and they can see it on a level that someone who hasn't been through it can't, you know, and I, when you're talking about patterns and, and looking for solutions and changing the way we think, I'm often reminded of an old friend that I had whose father had a stroke, lost the ability to talk, but then taught himself how to talk again. And when I started mm -hmm. asking my friend about that, he said he went through all this therapy and I started reading up on it because it was just so amazing to me. And from what I read, it was like, oh, he had to create new neural pathways in order to teach himself how to do it again. And that seems to be the same thing that's happening to people who go through major traumas, whether it's losing a child or some PTSD or depression. Like they have that trauma has shut off that part of the brain the same way blood flow would shut off that part of the brain. And now you got to go back and figure out how to rejigger it or how to create those new neural pathways in order to bring back the patterns of positive thinking or bring back the patterns of communication that can get you to a good spot. And this, this, this marriage of, of brain mapping and sacraments, they're, they're beautiful and I'm thankful for it. And I know that's kind of a mouthful and I'm, I'm segueing to another question here. So bear with me, Luke. So we've, we've talked about the brain map and we've talked about the neuroplasticity and we've talked about the sacraments. What role does spirituality have to play in this? Well, the more I'm in this and the older I get, I think spirituality has everything to do with everything. Yeah. Um, it can't be avoided. But even the simplest things, when someone overcomes their anxiety or like your friend's father, you're talking about Kentucky, that's a spiritual moment. Yeah. You might not think of it as like, you know, a classical spiritual experience, but that's a spiritual experience that that person can function, have their life back and like you know, function at a higher level. That's that's a huge deal. For someone that, you know, they can overcome their anxiety, can be more, play with their children, you know, go out and do things instead of being locked off. That's a huge, that, that itself is a spiritual experience. Yeah. And I think we look at ourselves as um, ensouled individuals. I think you're talking earlier about um, this future, this bright future. I really think that the, the 21st century, the center, the century of consciousness, because before we always looked at human beings as you know a mere you know chemical constructs, but we're going to look at yours and we're going to find evidence of this. I think we're already finding evidence of this, but so far the mainstream has ignored it. But look, we are in sold individuals, spiritual individuals. I think that things that we think was kind of out there, you know, become a common knowledge, maybe like auras and things like this. Um, so I think spirituality, our our spiritual being, spiritual sense of self, as everything to do with it and i think from a whole life no one really told told me how to uh um how to take care of your spiritual health your soul health you know your soul upkeep and that's a very important part um you, you have your physical body but also have your your soul body and you know how, how how do you how do you take care of that what do you do i think it's all important important parts about who we are i think that's become much much more important as we go on um, I think, you know, there's so many tools out there and what we do is just one side of that, but that's what we, that's what we love to work with. Um, there's so many parts of neurofeedback, but we work with the soul side, the spiritual side of it. Yeah. It sounds like the sacred Valley is, has been working on you a bit down there. It's gotta <laughs> be, I mean, I'm in Hawaii and, and yeah. there's, it's just so beautiful here and you can't help be a become a different person you know there's there's no billboards that are on the freeway there's no you know there's no there's no flashing lights of pornographic advertisements just banging on your door all day yeah. long you know and you're allowed to have your own thoughts and you're allowed to be surrounded by beauty and i think when that happens i think part of you changes like you you get back to a better understanding that you don't 
really come into this world. You come out of it. You're part of it. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm wondering how is, how is being down there affected your outlook on who you are and how you interact in this world? Well, um, another interesting question. So <laughs> when I first came down here, for me, just being down here was healing. Um, to be away from the hustle and bustle, to be away from the billboards you're talking about, and the lights. I would, I would, you know, I was living in the jungle for a while, deep jungle with, with shamans and no electricity, no nothing. But it was the, some of the greatest times of my life, um, just doing that. And it was wild because you drink ayahuasca three times, three times a week, and there wasn't much to do. But you know, the jungle's crazy. You know, like I was everything, anacondas, boa constrictors, tarantulas, you know, all kinds of stuff. Things <laughs> kind of living around that. Um, I think humanity, when they, we, we've detached from nature and piled in the cities, wasn't healthy for us. And I think constantly we need to look for ways to get back to nature. I think you see it in some ways in like parks and stuff in cities, um, but really get down to the wild, which I've had the opportunity to improve, has been as healing as any plant medicine. Um, you know, like I'm, I live in the Sacred Valley. I live in this really special place and I love it. And I can do plant medicines whenever I want pretty much, which is nice, but I don't even do them that much anymore because I don't feel like I the need like I used to sometimes. But I also have these beautiful hiking trails everywhere in these mountains and I'll hike to these. And the Andes, I mean, these are tall mountains up here. So like the, Tallest mountains in Colorado, about 14,000 foot. Like the tallest, tallest mountains here are 25,000. So it's a whole range. And like I said, I have a motorcycle now. So now I go up these, these mountain roads and explore and um, being out in nature, being out, being outside, you know. And I also think just being with different kind of people and how they think, you know, everyone. It seems not everyone, but a large amount of the people in Western society are always going this way and that way and worried about this and that. And, you know, um, my girlfriend, she has an animal sanctuary and we had a this huge lot. We're plowing it with bulls. We brought a couple people over to plow in the field. And I sit out with them afterwards because after, after they do that, they uh, they drink chicha, which is a local you know, alcoholic drink made from corn. And I'm just sitting with them and looking at the mountains and, and everything just really slows down. And I'm just enjoying this moment. Like, wow, this is really nice. So I think slowing down, enjoying the moment, um, enjoying all those moments that life has to offer. Like, this is what the Sacred Valley's done for me. And I really am eternally grateful for it. I'm also grateful for the people I've met. Like I said, Sebastian, who I met down here, and in turn, have met you through him. So that's been amazing as well. Yeah, I, I really think that there's some things you can only uncover when you begin to slow down and and so much of the busyness is just this artificial. Sometimes I think it's fear. The fear of having to think about things forces you to do frivolous things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Maybe there's, let me ask you, that's an interesting Avenue too. Is there a pattern of fear that you can see in people's brains? Yeah, I think um, trauma itself is usually kind of a fear response Mm -hmm. at some level at these deep brain structures. Um, and we see through the brain waves, like the residual, you know, because uh, all the brain waves are basically, you know, billions or trillions of cells all firing at once. So we're seeing kind of how these structures fire and we're seeing kind of the residual um, effect of it. But yeah, I think fear is a deeply uh, inherent trait in trauma. And for me, I never thought of myself as afraid, but something affected me. Something deep down affected like that part of my brain structure. And then your your body becomes flighter you know, fight or flight. So then it shuts down some other brain structures because of the constant mm. fight or flight mode. And this isn't a conscious response. And so many people think, oh, you know, just will yourself out of this. Well, it's not conscious will. You can't will yourself out of a, a brain pattern that's you know, forcing you to be a certain way. You know, you can always work on things and be the best you can be, but a lot of times the brain pattern you're working with. So yeah, there's, there's a, lot, a lot to it. Yeah, I was um, I was talking to Sebastian too, just about we were just geeking out on different you know heightened states of awareness. And a question I had posed to him that I'll pose to you is, you know, sometimes when you find yourself on a really big journey, whether it's through ayahuasca or you know LSD or mushrooms for me, is you see these really abstract geometric patterns, and like like for me, I began wondering. 
man, is this some sort of a coding pattern? Like what, what if this geometric pattern could be mapped onto a brainwave? And I know brainwaves are maybe like the, the waves, but yeah. maybe you could see some firing neurons. Is it, have you ever thought about like the, the images that you see as a coding pattern for the brain? Well, they are. Um, and I'm not sure if our technology is advanced enough to see kind of that detail, but we can see when the visual network is firing up and things like this. We can see when they, they see things like that. Um, but these patterns that we see, there's, there's so much to them because you have to wonder, like, is this our consciousness reflecting back at yeah. ourselves, reflecting yeah. beyond ourselves? And I've been there before, look at these patterns and wondering, yeah. what is this all about? You know, and I remember being in the jungle the first time doing ayahuasca and um, I was on this, it was like, so the floods in the area. So it was this Maloka, these and all the walkways are in wooden stilts 20 feet up. So this really surreal experience just in itself during the night. And I'm walking out and I purge over the side and I see the um, the whole earth open up and, and I'm purged. I see this black fluid come and like fall into the earth, like a thousand miles in the earth. And I had this overwhelming sense of the earth accepting it, like all this dark energy that I built up in me, accepting it and taking it itself and taking it away from me. And you, the experience happens and like, well, how is that just a, a hallucination? This is very complex, right? Yeah. And then... You know, I'll see the shaman, I'll see him like energy come out of him and heal people across the room. And I see these geometric patterns there. And I'm wondering, like, you know, what is that? You know, this it's, it's something a, a special visionary psych you have when you're on these medicines. And do the yogis of old and these people have this trained or some people born with this kind of psych? You know, it's very interesting these patterns, but I, I agree. I don't, I don't know the whole end of it, but yeah, yeah, it's I, it's such a and it doesn't happen all the time, but I, like there's been times where you know, in once is probably enough for for people, but you know, it's so fascinating just to look back and try to think about what these patterns mean. And I I came up on that that idea of like, oh, maybe it's some sort of language, or maybe it's some sort of code. And I'm sure other people have had these ideas, but it's it's really a good meditation because you can hold on to that image forever. It's almost like it's always there to, to look back on and it just changes the nature of relationships. And sometimes I think that that's what those geometric patterns do is they give you the opportunity to see the world around you from a different perspective. Cause you're focusing on this abstract pattern. You're like, why is it over there? And then I start thinking, why am I doing this? And I'm like, Oh, maybe that's what it's telling me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, then you worry, and you're in the plant medicines, and you, you yeah. start wondering about the motives of the plants you're with and what their intentions are. And, you know, as much as, you know, like, like, I know what mine are, but, you know, does this plant have intentions and what kind of visions is it showing me, you know? Um, so I think it's a very complex. And then you have shamanism thrown into the mix, and it gets even more complex. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think the whole thing's fascinating. I think, yeah. oh, so the, the East, I remember reading how, um, some spiritual traditions, when you close your eyes, people see different patterns and colors. And they had theories for each one, like different colors and patterns. And I never got in depth with it. But people have thought about, like, these things do mean something. There is depth to that. Um, and when we do Alpha Theta sessions, we take people in these subconscious states. They might just see a color. But mm. that color itself has meaning. So there's there's meaning to, to all this stuff. It's so, like, I really feel like we're beginning to uncover or rediscover a lot of things that that we knew in the past or that we're, we're relearning some truths that are really going to help us in the future become better. What about, I, I'm, I'm curious about, have you ever done like generational mapping, like maybe like a father and then a son or a daughter and a, you know, is, is there a, I'm wondering, is that possible to see similar patterns or would you see similar patterns in that? Or would that be helpful yeah. for generational trauma? No, I haven't done it myself. That would be interesting. Um, should do more work on that. But I know there's definitely generational patterns. Um, okay. One famous one is like, you know, alcoholics. You know, Ooh. people in foreign families yeah. with alcoholism. Usually, say there's a there's a, um, a person with alcoholism in the family. You know, siblings or a uh, you know children might have that same brain pattern. Um, so often, alcoholism is probably genetic related, and that by brain patterns genetic related. And usually, um, when people have addictions, we I see this time and time again. They're correcting for a brain pattern. So people that are cocaine or stimulants, they're correcting for like an under aroused brain. They're trying to bring the power levels up. You know, people that with alcoholism, you know, 
you often have like a, a busy mind or trying to slow things down. So each everyone's addiction is kind of like you're self-medicating with their addiction. What I've noticed. Yeah, it, it's interesting because they are they are self-medicating with plant derivatives. It's almost like we've we've gotten away from the actual plants that can help you do it. They're just using the wrong ones, you know, or, or they're using the right ones and maybe a wrong methodology. Yeah, yeah, and um, exactly. We have these poor substitutes um, <laughs> often, and or right, maybe they're using the right plant with the wrong mythology, or um, I think we've just lost total connection with that kind of spiritual experience yeah. in, in the modern modern society. And I yeah. think for here, uh, you know, coca leaves are highly spiritual plant, and uh, all the shamans, in the mountains, they hold the three leaves up. They Called apus, each mountain has a spirit. They bless them, and this is this highly, yeah, it's a very parlor culture. Um, and then in the West, we make cocaine out of it. So, um, so yeah, I think I think we need to rethink one that, in a way, every moment is an opportunity, a spiritual moment, and that there isn't like your life at church, your life back, or even you know your life in a ayahuasca ceremony, your other life, like. All your all your life, we're all spiritual beings, and some moments might be more visceral, but it doesn't mean other moments aren't as important. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm curious because I know that, you know, a lot of the ayahuasca um, renaissance has kind of been happening, and all of a sudden it's making its way to the West. And is there a is there a like a a resentment, or is there some sort of hostility or is everything okay how do you think the people where you live feel about ayahuasca being moved into different parts of the world or is there any feeling at all oh yeah that's a complex issue i think for people <laughs> that live down here and i think it depends on the person um mm -hmm. for one i think um tourism has been healthy ayahuasca tourism down here like with money but also money is corrupting mm. um, a lot of these tribes literally I've had nothing. I've been with them. Like literally, there's a roof over their heads, and that's it. Some, and the mosquitoes come in and sting them and stuff. And then Westerners start coming down and bringing like tons of money, lots of thousands of dollars to have these experiences. And all of a sudden, you know, like it creates some weird situations. I've seen as well. Um, I also think that there's different debates among communities. Like, is this our indigenous medicine or? Is this meant for other people and only only should we be doing it and serving it because now westerners are serving it and westerners are trying to be shamans and there's kind of debates on that as well um but i think if you look at the past if you think of the peyote um mm. this wasn't traditionally in many parts of north america it moved over time so i think in world cultures you do see transitions you do see different times and places and i think um and it sounds out there for a lot of people, but I think the plants have intentions as well. Yeah. A lot of people say that, you know, ayahuasca wants to help save humanity or save the planet. I'm not sure ayahuasca's intentions, but you know, I've definitely had interesting experiences. Um, my first ayahuasca retreat uh, was for the guys, including myself, were Marines of uh, 12 people. There was, this is the chances of that were just so minuscule. And they say that ayahuasca brings these groups together before they even come down. And, yeah, I believe it. How does that happen? Um, so I think there's a lot, lot to it. Um, I think that's kind of what this whole process is. We're all working through this and figuring it out. I'd love to hear the idea about the plant's intentions because I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I, I believe wholeheartedly in spirit and the planet and intentions. And I was just talking to a gentleman yesterday in Oregon who, you know, they have decriminalized mushrooms and they also had decriminalized marijuana. And he was telling, we were talking about some of the, the differences and similarities between the two and what could become of things. And we've begun talking about cannabis. And he had mentioned that there's like, he goes, there's this race to the bottom in cannabis now. Like everyone keeps lowering their prices. And, you know, it's on some level, it's tough because there's these people that have really become good craftsmen and they should get paid a fair mm. amount for it. And on the other hand, you know, that, you know, there's people that have this backload of product and they just want to move it. So they sell it. But it made me start thinking about the plant's intentions. And I'm like, maybe the plant doesn't want to be sold. Maybe it, it yeah. wants everybody to have it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, I, yeah. and then, and then I, I, I translate that to, the, to some of the other plant medicines. Like when we look at mushrooms and we see these pharmaceutical companies that are racing for patents and people mm. that tend to try to get 
a lot of money behind something tend to I see them failing. And I, I think maybe that has to do with the plant's intentions a little bit. What do you think? Yeah, I think um, anytime you're around an environment like this, you have the people who come in and make a quick buck. Yeah. And you have your sincere people who want to heal. And I think you have yeah. both sides of it. I think it's been around forever. Um, yeah, maybe it's a little more so in modern society. I think you maybe have that. But I think you have to always realize that there's always been that side of humanity, whether it's light or dark or greed and good. And you know, that's something that we always have to deal with. And even in the valley, you know, like, okay, that that guy's for real. I'm like, okay, that guy's a little weird. I'm not sure about him. He's gonna have, you know, is he, is he really is he really a spiritual guy? Is he yeah. Spiritual? yeah. So, yeah. Um, so you have, you have this everywhere. I think that's kind of just part of the, the human experience. Um, now, interesting thing about the planet, you know, maybe it's using the guy just trying to get it out there. You know, maybe he's the guy that they wanted. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, but I think I think there's a side for everybody in these places, like the craftsmen. I think the craftsmen always um, have their market because people value those kind of people. And I, I see them here. I meet a good craftsman, whatever, a good shaman, or a guy that just whatever is. You know, some guys make um, DMT, to, you know, to snort up different plants in the valley. And I don't know, no idea how they do it, but like I have a lot of respect for whatever they do to figure it out. So, yeah, yeah I think people that craftsmen, I think, will always have a special place. Yeah. And and I maybe it's a maybe it's a we need both people. You know, you need yeah. you need the innovators and you need the sales guy and you need the money for the other things. And in some level they're probably all part of the same thing anyway. It's all part of the same system, right? If we look at, you know, consciousness, you know, increasing or rising, you know, we don't know, you know right. what all those parts are going to be, all those moving parts, you know. But I, th I think overall, it's over time, it's going in the right direction. So I think that's maybe it's the part of faith too in it. Like, hey, I have faith that, that things will be better and that consciousness is rising and that, you know, this system, you know, is looking to alternatives because so many people look at you know are stuck in this medical system or something else and all of a sudden they try it maybe it's from the craftsman or maybe the, the, the cheap stuff or whatever but if they had experience to change their lives and they could tell other people experience and that's that's a good thing yeah that's that's one thing i really love about talking to people in this space and seeing this space emerge and, and sort of begin to rise the tide is rising it seems and there's so many different avenues and there's so many different little fractal places that someone this person can find they can find surrender down this aisle or someone else can find peace over here you know and there's there's all kinds it's almost endless where you can find the answers to a problem you may have and it's it's really beautiful to me and i'm i'm really thankful to to get to see it and to get to talk to people that are doing it like you and exploring new territories and helping people. And I, um, I, I gotta say, Luke, conversation has exceeded all of my expectations. I'm, I'm hopeful that one, one time I can come down there and shake your hand and check this whole thing out, you know, and I, <laughs> I would love to come down there, but before I let you go, Luke, what, where can people find you and where can they maybe learn more about what you're doing? Um, my website, neuroenlightenment.com is, is, where people should go and basically we partner with retreats to in ayahuasca but we also do remote training so say you want to um just train um, in the states we can mail you a neurofeedback unit and say like you want to increase your meditation brain waves or you know work on an issue that you're dealing with we can do that um also we do integration so people come and do ayahuasca and we send them with a home unit and they go home and we keep, keep the work going. So it's been really fun, really rewarding. And eventually we're going to do retreats, but we'll probably you know, keep in touch about that. And we'll be, I'll be on our website. Yeah, that's awesome. I would recommend everybody go there. Do do your own homework. Check it out. And then reach out to Luke over there at neuroenlightenment.com. And I really think that you're on to something that is going to be exploding in the future. And I, I really love the way it maps on to the traditional and it, it's just this beautiful merger of technology and biology. And I'm, I'm really thankful to get that you spent some time with me today, Luke. Appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it. Like, it's, like you said, anyone's interested in research side of things, let me know because yeah. we're really into that. And any veterans out there, feel free to reach out to me because that's a community that I really like talking to. So, And thanks for yeah. having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, pleasure's all mine, man. And hang on, <laughs> hang on one more second. I'm going to shut it down, but I wanted to talk to you real quickly after. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for everything. Check out Luke. He's an amazing guy. He's doing amazing things. Uh, his links will be down in the show notes. And that's all we've got for today, ladies and gentlemen. Aloha.
Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.